I just figured. Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be from Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised alive, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or nature or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning. Over the past few months, Mark has been taking us through the letter to the Ephesians to explore living full with Christ. And this morning's lesson is going to dovetail with that series, but we're not going to be looking at Ephesians. Instead, we're going to be looking at Hebrews. And if you like to follow along in your Bible, please turn to Hebrews chapter 12. But before we dig into this text, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this morning as we've gathered for worship, our prayer is that our hearts are coming up before you with praise and that you are being honored and glorified. And Father, we want our lives to serve you we want our lives to fulfill the purposes that you've given us. And so we pray, Lord, for faith and perseverance to, to fulfill all of the, the mission and the ministry that you have for us as your people. Father, we pray that your will will be done here on this earth. We pray that as we look at your word, we can have those eyes that see and those ears that are open so that you can mold us and shape us according to your will, to your glory, and your honor. And we ask all these things through your son's name. Amen. I'd like to tell you a couple of stories. Just the other day, 
I heard about a college-age girl who is struggling in her faith. Let's roll the, the tape back a number of years. I remember going to Australia as a teenager and when we, upon arriving there, hearing some stories about a young man who was several years older than myself. He was in his mid to late 20s. The story was that he had been converted just about three years prior. And within the first three years of his life as a Christian, not only had he led multiple members of his family to Christ, but he had also led about 30 other young people to Christ in the context of Australia. But then he became disillusioned. There had been conflict in the church. And the story I heard was that with that disillusionment, he had stopped worshiping and he had stopped following Christ. What stories do you know? Maybe you know some stories about someone who faced some great trouble or a life crisis. And it seems to have been a contributor to that person's dedication and service. And it was slowly eroded. Do you know people who maybe through just the mundane routine or for whatever reason, their commitment slowly began to cool off until they finally stopped meeting with fellow believers to worship. You see, in this series, if we're going to persevere, if we're going to, to live full, we are going to need to persevere and go the distance. We must be able to make it to the end, to have that full life. And this letter that we're going to be looking at, Hebrews, was written to second-generation Christians. That means that they were like us. They did not see Jesus. Rather, they heard a message, and they responded to it, just like we have. But these original readers, we also know some other things about them. They had faced some difficulties, in fact, some, some very severe difficulties, some persecution, Confiscation of property in some cases. They had faced some difficulties in life and living for Christ. And some of them have begun to ask a question. Is it worth it? Is it worth to press forward and to overcome every obstacle that might pop up? Just to keep on going and serving Christ. Is it worth it? Maybe there have been where there will be times in our lives when we might ask similar questions. The letter of Hebrews provides many answers. And this morning we'll be considering some of its powerful resources to help us persevere. What Scripture will do on a number of occasions is it will liken our lives to a race. Paul will do this. Hebrews does this. It likens our Christian life to a race and our dedication 
to the endurance and the dedication that it takes to keep going on and press forward to the goal. But Hebrews chapter 12 is going to add and enrich this metaphor even more. It says not only are we in this race, but we're in this race within a grand stadium. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. You see, the author wants us to imagine that we are living our Christian lives in the midst of this giant stadium. And the stands are filled with the lives of those who have gone on before us. Faithful, people who were faithful to the end. The author's realistic. As he speaks about our lives in the stadium, he knows that the race and how we run can go two different ways. In chapter 12 and verse 3, he points out that if we become tired, distracted, the task seems too great, we might grow weary and lose heart. But he also knows, chapter 12 and verse 1, that we can dig down to exert the necessary energy to run with endurance. And here at Mac, we want to run with endurance together. We want everyone to make it to the end so that no one gets left behind. And so this morning, as we think of our dedication and our service to the Lord, let's view it, it as this athletic event in the midst of this giant stadium, and we're running this together. And let's listen to Hebrews, as if Hebrews was our coach who's giving us powerful resources so that we can endure to the very end together and be victorious. We only have time to look at two of the resources that he provides us. And the first of those that we're going to consider is Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. He writes, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. The author wants us to remember who we're serving. One of the things that we need to remember as we're running this race and going forward is just who is our God? And he says, remember, God is not unjust. He is fair. He is going to remember your work and your service. Now, just what does that mean for you and me in, in practical terms? Have you reached in to the back of that pew in front of you and pulled out one of those pink encouragement cards to let you know that you appreciate someone? Have you grabbed that, that pink encouragement card and, and written out a note that I'm going to be praying for you this week? That may have been several years ago and you've even forgotten about it. But God has not forgotten. 
your love and your work of service. Have you looked in the bulletin and seen that list of, of people who, who are dealing with health issues and, and who can't get out and join us and, and they're watching us this morning on, on their television or, or computer? And have you gone by to visit and to pray with them? God will remember. The eternal Father remembers what you've done. Have you given your time to teach a class, to wash the communion cups? Have you tried to pass along God's love to our community? And so you volunteered at the elementary school that we've adopted. Or perhaps you're trying to impact the community by serving through our care cottage. God remembers all of the time and all of the effort that you have given in service. Maybe you're attending a small group on Sunday night and your purpose is not for what you can get out of it. Maybe your reason to go to small group on Sunday night is because you know that you can bless others, that the fellowship and the love that you can give to your brothers and sisters can encourage them and can build them up. And so you're not going even to receive, but you're going to give. God remembers. He knows what you're doing. And when you're tempted to wonder whether your efforts make any difference at all, think about this. The creator of heaven and earth will not forget your work and your love. When you're tired, and unlovable people can be so tiring, and you've chosen to love the unlovable, God has seen it, and he will remember. Has God's love so gripped your life that you're trying to love others and impact them. And so you're, you're serving and doing things, whether through formal ministry or, or spontaneously on your own. And that, that, that love for, for others is also broken out and, and you're sharing with others how God has loved them through Christ and what this means for their life. God will remember. Paul would write something similar the church at Corinth. And as he writes to them, he's not writing to the leadership. He's not writing to a select few. He's writing to the whole congregation. And Paul encourages them with, with these words that are similar and remind us of what we just read in, in Hebrews. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, not only can, can God use our service and, and our efforts in ways beyond what we can imagine to fulfill his purposes, and, and he, Paul would write in Philippians how God works through us to act and to will to, for his purpose, but not only can God work through us, but he's going to remember everything that we do. Though that acts of love and service. And so our coach in Hebrews counsels us, keep running the race, keep serving Christ, because God is going to remember all of your love and your dedication, and your service is not in vain in the Lord. But you know, sometimes, sometimes even when we know it's valuable, 
life can get tiring and weary. And things can rise that can challenge the resolve. And so someone might think, you know, I just can't keep going. You know, it's maybe like that cross-country runner who's going up a hill and then some squirt passes him, goes flying, I just can't keep going. Sometimes life can be like that. The author provides us a second resource. He reminds us to envision our lives in the midst of the stadium where the bleachers are filled with heroes of faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. Now, as we look at this idea immediately we might be encouraged with the, with the thought that here is this great crowd of heroes of faith and they're cheering us on. And while this is very encouraging, the author seems to have an even more powerful message for us. But for us to grasp it, we're going to have to do a little bit of Bible spade work. The word that's used for witness here in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 is the same word that we're going to find in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. When Jesus, speaking with his apostles, tells them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, what is Jesus trying to communicate to his apostles? What message is he trying to get through to them. Yes, they have seen his ministry. Yes, they've heard his teaching. And at this moment, they're speaking with the risen Christ. But what is it that he is wanting them to do? He is wanting them, starting in Jerusalem, to tell the message. You're going to witness. You're going to testify We're going to start in Jerusalem, and then we're going to go to Judea, and then Samaria, and it's going to go out to the ends of the earth. What are they going to be doing? They're going to be saying, let me tell you about what I know God has done through Christ. And let me tell you what this means for your life. Let's look at another quick story in the Gospels. Remember when Jesus was on trial that night before he's going to be crucified the next day? He's taken to trial and he's standing before the high priest. And false witnesses are are brought in to denounce Jesus. And then the high priest will ask Jesus to respond. You know, are you the son of the blessed one? And Jesus says, I am. And then he adds, you will see. You will see. Coming on the clouds of glory sitting at the right hand of power. The high priest will tear his garments and say, what further witnesses do we need? Well, what is the high priest talking about? He is talking about people who gave a verbal testimony regarding Jesus. Their purpose was to denounce him. But the role of the witness was to verbally testify. Remember Luke chapter 11 and verse 48 Jesus and the experts in the uh, law are together and 
And Jesus will say that their actions testify that you approve of the deeds of your ancestors. Now, this translation uses the word testify. The other translations will, will be more literal, and they'll have the word witnesses. You are witnesses. But here's that idea of this word, the same word we're finding in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. That idea is, is that someone is saying a message. So what is our coach in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 trying to communicate to us about the message coming out from the bleachers? He has just spent an entire chapter describing the lives of God's faithful people. And their lives are testifying to what people just like you and me have done. Testifying to their faithfulness in spite of all sorts of situations and trials and problems. And in spite of that, they continued to serve God. And their lives say, one, it's worth it. And two, you can do it too. And so what our coach wants us to do is to look up into that stadium and look at all of those lives that have gone on before us and the testimony that comes from those lives and where we might identify with a a particular situation or problem and listen to that life testimony. And when we've become accustomed to using this tool, he then takes it to a whole nother level. And he says, not just fix your eyes on the people that have gone on before you, but now fix your eyes on Jesus. Take it to another level and learn the lessons from him too. So as we live our lives and we look up into the stadium of those who have been faithful and gone on before us, were they perfect? No. No, they've not been perfect. What did they do? They got back up. They kept going. They continued to trust in God. So imagine looking up into the bleachers and look at the stories of those people, people who overcame through faith all sorts of these problems, and their life testimony says, keep running. You can do it too. So what problems might tempt us to become lukewarm or, or maybe even to throw in the towel? Do God's promises seem distant? They're, they're just so far off. There's Abraham. And, and there's the life of Abraham. God promised him an impossible thing. He and his wife are beyond the years of bearing children. It doesn't seem possible or feasible. And then month after month goes by, and then year after year goes by, and decade after decade goes by, and the child of promise has not yet been born. But by faith became a father. Are we watching our co-workers and our friends cave in to the pleasures of sin? There's Moses. He could have had all the pleasures and the excesses of, of Egypt, 
But he said, no, I'm not going to identify with that. I'm not going to go down that path. Instead, I'm going to identify with God's people and I'm going to suffer with them. And by faith, he refused to choose the path of Pharaoh's son. Find it challenging to believe in something that God's promised that you've never seen? There's Noah. (laughs) He knows all about that. He's never seen a flood. But by faith, Noah builds an ark. Ever feel alone? Maybe like like you're the only one who's, who's trying to walk that path. Elijah, he thought he was the only one. Noah pretty much was the only one, except for his family. They know what that is like. They continued on in faithfulness. Do you feel that you're not equipped and not prepared for the mission, for for living up to all the purposes that God has for us as His people? You're standing in good company. Jeremiah, his life is over there. I'm only a child, he would say. How can I do this? Moses, I'm not a man of words. I can't speak well. You can't use me. On and on the list goes. And and how so often it is exactly the people who know that that they are not strong, that God chooses to use because He knows they have to depend on Him. And so God uses broken and weak people for His purposes. Yes, we can too step up to the mission and the purposes of God and depend on God and by faith move forward. Does unjust suffering, does life just thrown some curveballs and it's not fair what's happened? Life should happen differently if I'm serving God. There's Paul. The life of Paul is right up there. Beaten with rods three times. Whipped five times. Stoned, left for dead. Had he been a criminal? Had he done anything wrong? Was he working against the, the will of God? No, not at all. He, he did not deserve that in the name of Christ. But that's what he suffered. It was not fair. It's not, it's not just. But Paul, by faith, continued to step forward. People, people like us. And as we run this race to serve Christ, our coach says, remember all those people who through faith endured and sweated in the stadium before you and their life testimony, testimony that you can identify with and draw strength from, says you too can be faithful in the stadium. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced 
jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. And then he takes our gaze. After we've become accustomed to looking at the stadium and, and drawing the lesson that he wants us to draw from that, and he raises it up to a whole other level. He says, look beyond the bleachers. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And then he puts it in perspective. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. These opening verses in Hebrews chapter 12 provide us a number of, of practical principles that we can put into our life. Our coach, being a good coach, has broken it down into several practical steps we can take. We've just read one of those. Let's go back to the beginning and look at the first step he gives us. The first step in chapter 12 and verse 1, just like an athlete who trains to run, will have weights on his feet or her feet. And then at the race time, we take those off. And, and the feet are so light, you can just fly down the track. One practical step, the first step, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. Yeah, the first step is don't become comfortable with sin. Don't say, well, everyone does it, so I can do it too. No, the, the first step is, okay, we're God's people. We're in this race, and if there's something that isn't compatible with God and His ways, let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of that sin that can trip us up, that Satan can use to, to pull us down and, and to beat us over the head with and to, to disable us. Let's get rid of it. Jetson it out. And I, during my years of ministry, I've, I've seen... Young people and older people just do just that. I remember one young fellow coming to my office and, and saying, Barry, my music is causing me problems. The words, the lyrics to, to the music that I just love, it pushes me away from God. It drives a wedge between me and serving God. And, and so I've put all of my music in this box and I'm giving it to you. <laughs> that was not an insidious move. He was taking the first step that he could to disposing of it. He couldn't yet throw it away. But I can get it out of my life where it won't be right there and I won't be listening to it. And I'm taking that first step to jettison sin Something that's going to cause me to sin out of my life. Step number two, focus on the goal. What did Jesus do when he faced his darkest hour? As he's in the stadium himself running that race, and it is the worst hour of that race. He didn't focus on the suffering. 
He didn't focus on the nature of how horrible the situation was and what he was about to encounter. No, he focused on something, but it wasn't the cross. He looked beyond the cross. He focused to where he was going, the joy that was set before him and being with the Father, sitting with the Father. And for that joy set before him and where he, he himself, looked up and focused on something beyond He endured the cross. And we learn a lesson from Christ in running in the stadium. Yes, keep your eyes on the goal and focus where we're headed. Jesus looked to the victory stand. Step number three, endure hardship as fulfilling a valuable purpose. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So view those difficult times that we encounter as as training, as something that can make us stronger and better and more useful for our master. No one wants to go through difficult times. But remember what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians, that first chapter? He says that God strengthens, he he helps us in our difficulties. Why? So that we can encourage others who are going through difficulty. Now, no one wants to sign up for a ministry of difficulty. Lord, please bring all sorts of problems on me. (laughs) No one wants to do that. But when we go through difficulty, God can use that in our lives for his glory. And we can be that Christian brother or sister who's a blessing to someone else and encourages another person who's going to go through that same type of difficulty. It can make us stronger. James will talk about how trials can deepen our faith and perfect us and help us to be even more of the people that God needs us to be in this world that is so dark. And so whether we are a teenager in the midst of peer pressure or a grandparent facing the difficulties associated with later life, or maybe a harried young wife and mother who's got kids hanging on her and whose time just seems to disappear all over the place, and a husband who feels the weight of providing for his family and and perhaps an economy that's uncertain, we can all live victorious lives for God in the stadium together encouraging each other. For those heroes of faith mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the story of their love, the story of their service to God on earth is now a matter of history. But you know what? Our stories are still being written. And one day, our story will testify something. And as you look in that stadium, you have not just the biblical stories of faith, but the stories of faith that you know. A grandparent, a mom, a dad, a brother, sister. A Christian who cared so deeply about you. And one day, our stories be over. And together 
We want our stories to be part of that stadium that's going to encourage the next generation. To say, yes, it is worth it to serve God through anything. And yes, we are human and we're weak, but by faith in God, we can do it. We can do it together. See, our coach wants us to endure. And so he tells us, God's going to remember your love and your service. And others like us have already shown that it's worth it, and they kept on going, and you can too. So throw off all sin. Focus on that goal that's before you, and endure hardship as training that God can use for his purposes. Well, the, right now, this morning, we're going to have the opportunity to, to bring any prayer requests that we might want our church family to be lifting up to God throughout this week. And also, if, if someone has not yet joined that race, to run in the stadium, to serve God, to, to honor Christ as Lord and Savior and depend on Him, there's that opportunity to acknowledge Him and, and to be buried with Him. That God's power, as you trust in, in Him, might raise you up to a new life that He makes possible, filled with having been given the purpose to be his workmanship for all that God intends his people to do. In whatever way that you can be encouraged or be a blessing, let something known. Come now. Let's all stand. Lord, take my life, make it your own.